Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that as we open up our Bibles, that you would open up our hearts and our minds, and that you would speak, and that you would make us attentive to your voice, and that in attending to your voice, you might shape and mold and form us to be your people in this world. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So like most vocations and many of your vocations, pastoral ministry carries its own unique challenges. And so, for example, at times it can be a conversation stopper. Now, some people, when they travel on an airplane, they're the personality type that they sit down next to somebody and they want to get to know them and hear their story and where they've been and hear all about their lives and all of that. But when I get on an airplane and I sit down next to somebody, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to know where they're going. I don't want to know where they've been. I don't want to know their story. I don't even care about their name. Because, I know, you say, that sounds so cold. (laughs) Well, it's just that if you sit for too long next to somebody who's six inches from you and you've already begun a conversation and you're there for three and six and eight hours, you kind of feel like at some point, like the conversation's going to dry up and then it's going to start to feel awkward. Am I alone in this? And so, you know, I have my strategies. When I see people coming to sit down, you know, I put in my headphones, and then I open up a book. It doesn't matter what kind of book or if I'm actually reading it. I just look like I'm reading it. And then if everything else fails, I tell them I'm a pastor. And that works every single time. It can be a real conversation stopper. You know, another challenge of being a pastor is that sometimes people have perceptions about you, that you are extra special and holy, that there's something kind of unique and kind of spiritual about you that is not true of other mortals on the planet. Several years ago, I was uh, invited to a party across the alley with some friends, and we went over there, and we were hanging out, and I was in this conversation with this guy who had had way, way too much to drink, and he was just going off, and one of these guys where you ask him one question, and then they just go on and on and on and on, and he was dropping F-bombs, and he was, you know, saying all these crass and inappropriate things, you know, it was just going on, I was just like, wow, and then, then he says, and so what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And literally, he fell down in front of me on his knees and started like signing himself. And he said, priest, forgive me. Father, forgive me. You know, I'm like. (laughs) But there can be, I think, a perception in people's minds that pastors kind of have this unique sacred vocation over here and are distinct from the rest of the secular vocations out in the world. But what's interesting is when you open the pages of the Bible, you find something completely different. In fact, uh, one of the great discoveries or rediscoveries of the Protestant Reformation, you know, uh, during the Protestant Reformation, they, they rediscovered, you know, sola scriptura, that the Bible is the final authority of faith and practice, and solo fide, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then finally, the Reformation was about the rediscovery of the priesthood of all believers. Now, this is pretty cool because it was a rediscovery of a principle that is found right there all through the New Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, there's this office of priest, and it kind of conforms to a lot of stereotypes. The priest wore special outfits. They had a special role. They went through all these ritual practices that kind of identified them in this unique, special calling in the unique, special place in the temple, and they would offer these unique, special sacrifices on behalf of the people. 
And when you get to the New Testament, the Bible declares that all Christians, all followers of Jesus are royal priests. In other words, all of us, every one of you in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given a vocation, a mission, a calling in God's world. Now, of course, our callings are varied and they're many. And so some of you might be called into the vocation of teaching and to be a presence of God's love there in the schools, or maybe a police officer, or a firefighter, or a nurse, or maybe you're in justice work, or maybe you have a calling to engage in the foster care and adoptive system, or maybe you're retired now and you've got all extra time on your hands and you're using this time to invest in a nonprofit that you believe in, that you cherish, that you value. But there's all kinds of callings. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you are in full-time ministry. You have a vocation that has been given to you by God. And what I want to do this morning is I want us together as full-time vocational ministers, people who have been called by Jesus into ministry, I want us to spend some time sitting at the feet of one of the great ministry leaders as he opens up a little bit of his life and shares with us some of his own vantage point, some of his own perspective on ministry. Now, we're going to find this in a very, very interesting section in 1 Corinthians. It's right here at the tail end of this book. Actually, it's not a book, it's a letter. And so in some sense, when we open up this letter, we are reading someone else's mail. And as you read through this, you, you start to realize this. Wow, he's writing to somebody else and he's saying, greet Stephanus and Achaeus and, and uh, I'm going to travel here and there and I hope to see you sometime and, and say hello to your mom and so on and so forth and grace to you, love you, bye, you know, kind of thing. That's sort of how he ends this letter. But isn't it the case that sometimes when people just kind of open up very honest, very personal areas of their life, that you come to learn something very deep about how they view life? I remember I was listening to a pastor and he was talking about uh, some other thing in a sermon and in passing, he made the comment that he checked his email once a, once a week. And I just thought, what on earth is going on? And like, how did he do that? I want to do that. And all of a sudden, this throwaway, throwaway line became something very significant and interesting. I wanted to learn more and it, it revealed to me something about him. And so too, as Paul closes his letter, he makes some comments about his own attitude toward ministry. And from it, we learn some very important insights and some wisdoms for us as we are called by Jesus to serve him in our vocations throughout the week. And so I just want to draw to your attention three observations, three little principles that Paul gives us in this text as, as he kind of opens up his life here at the end of this letter. And the first principle that we learn from Paul as we view our own callings and our vocations in this world is number one, he, he invites us and he teaches us to plan with an open hand. Notice what it says in the text, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5. Paul talks about his travel plans, verse 5. He says, and I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you just now in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Now stop there. 
as Paul opens his travel plans, he's not simply telling us about his next vacation and kind of about what he's hoping to do in the future. Paul is really reflecting upon his ministry plan. Now, Paul was a very strong leader, very opinionated, very forceful personality that's very clear from the New Testament. And as is often the case with forceful personalities, sometimes they can be a little bit controlling when they come to plans. And so Paul is a planner. He says, I intend to go into Macedonia. But I want you to see that although he's a planner, he opens up his plans to the will and the purposes of God And he holds his plans loosely because notice a couple phrases. He says, I intend to pass through Macedonia, but perhaps I will stay with you. And I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. And so do you see what he's doing? Now, I also note that although he's an apostle, he's got a really tight connection with God. He doesn't cover all of his plans in spiritual lingo. You know those people, whenever time they talk to you, it's always the Lord said this and the Lord said that and God put this on my heart and I'm going there. But this isn't Paul. He's writing the Bible and he's still not talking like that. He's got a rich connection with God and he's still not talking like that. It's very, fairly bare bones. Kind of like, I, I intend to go here. I hope I can go there. If God permits, I'll go there. But he's not entirely sure. And so he's sort of open with his plans for himself. But I want you to see that Paul not only holds his plan for himself with an open hand, he also holds his plans for others. Now, anybody in the room a planner? Anybody here, your favorite app is like iCalendar or whatever. Uh, You are the personality type who you create lists and and you just check things off on the list. And as you're checking it off, like endorphins are being released on your brain and you're just finding joy and you're delighted. Some of you, you're so bad that even if it wasn't on your list and you accomplished it, you write it back on your list and you cross it off just to give you that added pleasure and satisfaction. Anybody here in the room not like those people? have a difficult time with those people? Yeah. Now, of course, we're all needed. Every, every, everyone is, every personality type is needed. But there is a particular danger for planners that they would be controlling. Overly controlling of circumstances, but not just circumstances, overly controlling of people. Anybody in the house have somebody in your life who has strong ideas about what you should do with your time and your life? Anybody want to point to them right now? <laughs> want to lay hands on them hard, fast, and repeatedly and pray for them? And anyone have plans about what the church ought to be doing and what the leaders ought to be doing? You know, there are some of us who have a lot of ideas, and that's okay. I mean, part of actually the mark of a leader is that you have strong opinions and ideas. But sometimes I can move into the arena of control. You want to manipulate and coerce and control people because you need to be in control. Because if you're not in control, you are afraid the world is going to fall apart. Somebody just point to them right now. Now, it's surely the case that the Apostle Paul was one of these strong-willed people. And he was forceful. And it's clear that he had opinions about what other people should be doing. Just look, he kind of opens this up. Look at what he says. He says down in verse 12, he says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, Paul and Apollos were ministry colleagues. They were partners. They were friends. He says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you. I wonder what that conversation was like. 
And I wonder just how strong Paul did urge him. This, Paul is the guy who, who at one point in the book of Galatians, he said, I withstood Peter to his face because he was to be blamed. <laughs> this is not a low-key, easygoing guy. This is a guy who you would be afraid to disagree with. He strongly urged Apollos, but he says it was not at all his will to come now. Apparently, Paulo had a, Apollos had a little strength himself. But Paul lets it be. He lets it go. It doesn't destroy the relationship. He honors and respects others. Listen, there's not a lot of things I like about earthquakes. We live in an earthquake country, right? And I, I grew up in the 80s. I was a child in the 80s, you know, one of the Cold War kids, you know. And uh, I grew up in elementary school. They would constantly be painting these apocalyptic, dystopian pictures of what was going to happen when the San Andreas Fault shifted and it opened up the earth and, like, it swallowed us all up. Like, I had nightmares at night, earthquakes. And so every time the earth would shake, it'd just be terrifying to me. I don't like earthquakes, but the one thing that is helpful about an earthquake it is, it, it is a reminder of something that is true every day of your life, and yet that so many of us often forget. You are not in control. And so Paul recognizes this, and notice how he holds his, 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 his kind of life, his plans, his plans for other people. It's with an open hand before the face of God. You could say his plans were intentional, they were strategic, but they were also surrendered and submitted to the will of God. Verse 7, for I hope to spend some time with you if what? If the Lord permits. I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all the will at the, uh, to come now. It's interesting, that phrase when it says it was not at all his will in some Bibles, in the Greek it's ambiguous. It could mean it was not the will, meaning the will of God. Whether or not it was Apostles' will not to, Apostle, Apollos' will not to come, or God's will that he not come, it doesn't really matter. The point is, is that Paul was open to other people having plans and ideas that didn't conform with his expectations on them. Do you? Are you? Number one, his plan... His plans were held with an open hand. But number two, I want you to see that Paul also teaches us in his own vocational ministry. So he's, he's planning, he's strategic, he's intentional, but he's planning with an open hand. But secondly, he not only plans with an open hand, he teaches us to expect opposition. Look at how he puts it down in verse 5. He says, for a wide door of effective work has opened to me. What an incredible day when the wide door of effective work opens to you, when it kind of seems like all of the stars are aligned and the pieces are coming together and that which you've prayed for is finally seeing breakthrough on and you are like, an effective door has opened to me. Paul says, an effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. There is an effective door of ministry that is opened, and there are many who oppose me. And friends, this always, it almost always goes hand in hand, doesn't it? At that, great, at that greatest place where God has opened an opportunity, there we meet the greatest opposition we've ever experienced. And sometimes, of course, the opposition comes from outside. 
And of course, this is true for Paul and his experience that he's referring to here in Ephesus. Paul at this time was in this major metropolitan city called Ephesus. And he goes into the city, and at first he enters into the synagogues. And while he's there, he preaches and teaches convincingly that Jesus is the Christ. People are meeting God. They're being transformed. But as the effective door is open, the opponents arise, and the religious leaders get ticked off, and they kick him out of the synagogue. Paul says, fine. And he goes to the school of Tyrannus, actually, school of Tyrannosaurus Rex, that was so bad. And I said that in the first service, and I thought, I can't say that in the second service. But I looked at you, and I'm like, they want it. They want it. <laughs> Tyrannus was a, a, kind of a local university, and he gets a lecture hall there. And he, he starts proclaiming and arguing with the philosophers and with the, the, the masses that Jesus is Christ. And he sees this incredible outbreak. And then there's this spiritual awakening in the town. And all kinds of people are being healed. And when you read the description in Acts 19, it is unlike any other spiritual awakening almost in the book of Acts. It is a powerful thing. And tons of people are coming to faith. And he stays there for two years. And yet as the effective door has opened, the opponents rise up against him. And it was in Ephesus that there was this massive riot in one of the great stadiums in Ephesus. Because Paul was seeing all these converts, people were coming to Christ, they were throwing away their idols, and they were burning their magic books, and the people who sold their idols, who sold the idols, and who sold the magic books were getting ticked off, because it meant economic loss. And if there's anything that leads people to riot, it's economic loss, right? And so there's this economic downturn, people are upset, and they blame Paul, there's a riot in the city, and so Paul says, even though there's this effective door, opponents are rising up against me. And it's true, isn't it? Haven't you experienced this? When all of a sudden a new opportunity arises, all of a sudden difficulties, challenges start, start opening up before you. And you're kind of thinking like, what on, like, why is this happening right now? Why are they up in arms? Like, what is going on? I don't know why, but I, I, when I was reading this this week, I was thinking of that scene from Star Wars where Luke and Obi-Wan go into the cantina to look for a pilot to take them off to help rescue Princess Leia. And Luke is sitting at the bar, and this guy just randomly looks at him, and he says, my friend doesn't like you. I don't like you either. Just watch yourself. We're wanted men. I have a death sentence on 12 systems. And Luke says, well, I'll be careful. Then he says, you'll be dead, you know? And then, you know, Obi-Wan chops off his head or something with a lightsaber. But it's so random, and you kind of like, I've been, like, you, have you had that experience where you just sit down at the bar or somewhere and... It seems like all of a sudden somebody's just picking a fight where you're like, what is going on here? What is going on? It's opposition. Opposition sometimes comes from without, but sometimes opposition comes from within the church. Notice what Paul says in verse 10. He says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. A little backstory Paul has written this letter in Ephesus. He sends Timothy to Corinth to deliver the letter. Now, why on earth would he need to tell the Corinthian church not to despise him? 
I mean, is any church really so difficult and hardened to despise one of its leaders? (laughs) Corinth apparently was one of those places. Sometimes the most painful and the worst opposition is not what we experience from those outside of the church. Sometimes the deepest wounds come from those inside of the church. The deepest opposition to the work of God among us. And listen, friends, we are in a space and time in the history of this church, I believe, where God is poised to put us in a place where he is opening an effective door of work and ministry before us. He has called us to be a faithful presence of the sacrificial love of Jesus among our next door neighbors, among the people in this community. He has called us to share the good news of God's victory over sin and death in Jesus Christ in the San Gabriel Valley among our friends and neighbors and coworkers and colleagues and school friends. God has called us into this and he has good work before us. And so we need to expect opposition. Opposition from without and opposition from within. But notice in the text how Paul calls us to meet the opposition. He calls, it to, he calls us to meet this opposition with both strength and love. Notice what he says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. How do we meet the opponents? There are going to be many. They arise all the time, you know. Um, I I was thinking back when I was studying this to a a comment that a guy in our church, Mark Daw, made to me about somebody who was uh, his employee in in uh, in his business that he ran. There were some characters in the Old Testament called Sambalat and Tobiah. And when Nehemiah, who was commissioned by God to go and build the temple, when he went about his work, Sam Ballad and Tobiah were just there egging them on and were always like the sore spot and criticizing them. And, and, and um, so Mark Daw named one of his employees Sam Ballad. <laughs> and I've actually named some of you Sam Ballad. I've not. I'm, I'm just kidding. I love you guys. But in the face of the work God has for us, we will find opposition. And we need to meet it with strength and with love. It's interesting, you know, this is exactly how Paul met the internal opposition in the church in Corinth. With both strength and love. Throughout this letter, you know, he is strong. He is direct. He's honest. He doesn't, you know, cower in fear over saying direct truth when it needs to be said. But he begins and he ends this letter with both love and gratitude and grace. In fact, he opens by speaking grace and peace over them, and then he bursts into thanksgiving for the way God is at work in them, and then he closes his letter. Notice how he closes it. He says again with grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you, verse 23. And then Alone of all of his letters, after speaking this word of grace, he speaks a very personal, a very affectionate word of love. He says, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus, amen. You see, he meets the onslaught, the the opposition with both strength as well as self-sacrificing love. And he learned this from Jesus 
Because when God in Christ was faced with opposition in this world, both from within the community of faith with the religious leaders or from without with Pilate and Caesar and the Roman Empire, he met it with strength as well as with self-sacrificing love that absorbed the wrong, that turned the other cheek, that walked the extra mile, that didn't return evil for evil, but returned evil with love. And this is how we will defeat the opposition, with strength as well as with love. So Paul, number one, teaches us to plan with an open hand. Number two, he teaches us that we, we, we need to expect opposition. But thirdly, he shows us in his own kind of personal reflections on his ministry that you cannot do it alone. You and I cannot live faithful lives of discipleship to Jesus, marked by generosity and hospitality, marked by community where we actually open up our lives in vulnerability with strength and with others, and all of this, and move forward in self-sacrificing forgiveness and reconciliation. We can't do any of that if we seek to do it alone. The forces are too strong around us to live for self to just purchase more products, to absorb ourselves in technology and video games and television and all the kinds of distractions so that we basically pace the cage until we die. We need other people around us who teach us a stronger and a better way. And so Paul teaches us in this text that we cannot carry this mission in this world alone. And notice he felt like he couldn't do it alone. Look at what he says in verse 5 and 6 again. He says this, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And he says, perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter. Why? So that you can help me on my journey. Now, for some of you, that phrase may not have been very impressive. But this is a strong independent, fierce leader. And he is vulnerable enough to say, I need help. And I hope I can come with you, not just so that I, the strong, valiant Paul, can help you, but so that you can help me. Now, here he's probably talking about financial help. He probably wants some financial help. He's going to invite them into participating with him on the ministry. But a little bit later, he asks for, and he speaks of his need for emotional help. Look what he says down in verse 17. He says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for you your absence. For why? For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. Paul is writing this in Ephesus when he is undergoing tremendous you know, opposition. And what is it that refreshes him that is like a cold glass of water in a parched desert? It is the friends that God sends to him. He needed this emotional support just to get by. Paul, again, after mentioning his need for financial support and emotional support, he, he talks about the need of some leaders in the community and a need they have for, for, for the community to come around them. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. 
They have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. What a way for somebody to describe you. Somebody who's just devoted to the service of the saints. And then he says this. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. It's interesting, he calls them to respect and to honor and to be subject to not somebody because they hold a title, but because of their actual labor in the church. And this is the mark of true leadership in the local church. It is sacrificial, self-giving service for the sake of the body of Christ. It is not holding a title or an office or wearing a certain kind of outfit. It is your actual work you do. And so he says, when you see people like that, what do they need? They need your support. They need you to come alongside them. Leaders need good followers. Amen? Anybody who's ever led anything knows that. And friends, there are some incredible leaders who are pouring themselves out for the sake of this community every day of the week. I think right now I'm looking over to the corner of my eye. I see Jonathan Wee over there. Jonathan, uh, three weeks ago, or over the past three weeks, has been sacrificially serving. He has been devoting himself to put together a massive community carnival within Sierra Madre. And he is doing this with such creativity and entrepreneurial genius and creative spirit and joy that it's just so encouraging to me. And friends, he cannot do it alone. There is so much work. So come alongside of him. In fact, he needs another 10 volunteers to help him. And so I would encourage you, go find him after the service and say, Jonathan, how can we help? And he will give you opportunities to be a balloon maker, uh, to be a bubble blower, um, to be a teardown, a setup person or whatever, but you can come alongside and help him. But of course, in, in, in all the different positions of leadership in our church, you think about Kellen, who is tirelessly serving our children down in the children's wing. Come alongside her and support her and be subject to her leadership. And Ryan and Natalie and Pastor Robert and, and the elders and the different people, like as people are leading, come alongside and let's be supportive and encouraging one another because we need each other. We need each other. And so Paul is calling the church to, to, come, to lock arms together and to be the church. And of course, you know, I mean, you know, where would you be today without the people that God has brought around you to walk with you through those dark and difficult times? I would be lost. I'd be lost. I don't know where I would be apart from the body of Christ. Do you? And so let's be the body of Christ. Let's open up our lives to each other. Let's invite each other into our homes and let's open up our lives and be vulnerable and let's welcome each other in and let's do this over the long haul because relationships take time. It's not easy. It will take months and some of us years before we kind of like break in and kind of start to really feel relationally connected. But it is worth the investment every day of the week, amen? So Paul is here opening up his life, and he is giving us insight and wisdom into our ministry. He's saying, look, look, plan, but plan with an open hand. Expect opposition, and you can't do it alone. You need other people around you as you fulfill this royal priesthood. 
And listen, the reason why Paul is convicted so deeply that this is how priestly ministry happens in the world is because the great and true high priest, Jesus Christ, lived this way. It was Jesus who said, I always do that which pleases my Father. And I exist not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was utterly surrendered to the Father's will when it came to planning in his life, are you? And of course, Jesus Jesus encountered opposition and he took it with strength and he endured it and he exhausted the power of evil with his own sacrificial self-giving love. It does it every time. It is not hate that will drive out hate. Only love can do that, said Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it was Jesus, of course, that came into this world and gave his life in order to form not just new individuals, but actually to form a new human community that we can share life together with. And so we have been invited into this family to live for something higher than ourselves in spite of the opposition and to embrace this way that Jesus has called us to. And so let's do that together, amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you now and we thank you for this messed up, problematic church in the city of Corinth and all of the problems that they experienced that are so common to us that evoked this monumental letter in the first century. Thank you for giving us this piece of writing. Thank you for the way in which it guides and directs us in the way of life that truly leads to life. Help us, O oh God, to become the kind of community that truly reflects the cross-shaped love of Jesus in this world and further draw us into deeper relationship with yourself and with each other, we pray. And use our meager efforts, whether it be community groups or Sunday school classes or the volunteer work that we do together. God, use all of these to draw our hearts together and to form us into a community, we pray. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.